0: Mac Power Users Live, episode 197. Hey, everybody, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie, how are you doing?
1: Hey, David. I'm great. I never quite Uh, get used to actually hearing the intro music. I forgot to push the button.
0: I know. It was a little nervous there. I I love doing these live shows. So this is a, a live show, by the way. And if you're listening to this in the feed, You need to get over to 5x5 slash live. There's a great community there uh, the first Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. Pacific, where we do the show live and and have a lot of fun at the same time. Uh, And the really great thing about these live shows is it gives us a chance to catch up with some of the feedback and talk about things that normally wouldn't fit into the normal show format. Uh, But before we get started, we've got a couple announcements.
1: Yeah, did you know? That episode two hundred is just three shows away. It, I I'm shocked, stunned. I can't believe we've made it. I I can't believe we even made it past our first year.
0: Yeah, but we need your help. I have the outline started, and at the be- at the top it just says a bunch of hippie nonsense. I, I don't really know. We're going to kind of do a introspective show, kind of looking back on what we've done and um, where we want to go with the show, and just kind of talk about some of our favorite moments. But we we need some user. And listener feedback. So let us know things you'd like to us to include in that show.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think what we're looking for is maybe what are your questions for us? What question? What do you want us to talk about in that show? Um, what do you want to know? What deep, dark secrets of David's do you want us to try to flesh out in this episode? And, and what are some of your favorite Mac power user moments? Um, you know, is he really a coffee drinker? Is all you know this the tea y- stuff y- just made up?
0: The sad thing is after 200 shows, which is roughly 300 hours of um, of audio, I don't think I have many secrets left from our audience. <laughs> I don't
1: think so either.
0: Did I tell you about the time I played my first gig as a saxophonist and I had my fly down for the first like 20 minutes?
1: Yeah, David, I've been meaning to tell you, by the way, since we're on episode 197, this sounds like it. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's it. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. But either way, let let us know. We're going to make that a great show and we're looking forward to it. And um, another uh, little public service announcement. We really like the audio comments coming in for these live shows. Please keep them down to about two minutes, though, because it's hard to edit them and we want to make the show move fast. So uh, we do love the audio comments. I think it really makes the show better. And I love hearing from the listeners. Keep them short.
1: So as we did uh, with last episode, um, we're kind of starting this first episode with one of these mini workflows. And I yeah. really like this opportunity that we we get to hear from so many of our listeners and friends. Uh, and this episode is no exception. Um, we have a longtime friend of the show. Uh, Darren Boss is here with us. Uh, welcome.
3: Thanks, you guys. It's awesome to be here.
1: Now, you have a skill and a talent that I desperately wish that I had more of. And you are an organization guru, and we may have to have you back to talk more about that because it's a topic that I am so curious in. Or maybe I could just invite you to my house one day, and, and that would be great.
4: Right.
3: But yeah. Tell I, us
1: a little bit about who you are and what you do.
3: So I'm Darren Boss. I'm a professional organizer and an Apple tutor. Uh, I deal with both physical and digital clutter, and I have my own company, a Boss Organization. Boss with one S, and uh, we're just a little bit north of uh, David in, uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah, in fact, Darren and I have hung out a few, well, actually once, but we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I got my visa, and I got down to Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I drank tea, right? I didn't drink coffee that day. I think day. you did drink tea, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah we shared, shared some Katie. breakfast items. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, Darren, um, tell us about, um, a little bit about how you're using technology to get rid of clutter.
3: Um, so, well, it's, it's twofold. So I'm still, well, I'm happily still doing physical clutter. So I'm in people's houses, uh, helping them deal with garages and kitchen clutter and kids rooms. Um, but I also have a digital component where I'm not, uh, I tell people I'm not an Apple technician. Um. There are other people that do that, but I can help them out with Evernote and uh, going paperless and um, learning just how to use their uh, Macs more like Mac Power users.
1: Awesome. And we keep so much of this information on our machines now. Uh, so It really is easy for all of this stuff to get cluttered, but but decluttering the physical world, I think, is probably just as important, if not even more important, than, than decluttering the digital world. And for whatever reason, although I, I, I think I have gotten b- better about it as I've gotten older, I have always been a neat freak when it comes to keeping my virtual world on my Mac clean and, and tidy, right. but not quite so much when it comes to things in the physical world. Yeah. Do do you find that people are either one way or another, or they're just, they're just a a hot mess all over the place?
3: (laughs) Well, um, I think we're all a little bit of a hot mess, uh, at least in some area. I know I am. I, I, I find it personally, I find it easier, uh, to go a little bit nuts on the digital just because it's, um, it's not in front of you in the same way. Um, but, um, but yeah, I've found clients that uh, definitely have both um, issues with both. And I think like um, we have these great tools uh, in our Apple products, but uh, a lot of times we're only using like a quarter of them. Um, I know the Mac power users is using a greater percentage of that, but um, but it it's very satisfying to reveal things to people who um, only have a small sense of what, what's possible. I was just at the national association of professional organizers conference and, um, uh, MPU friend Brooks Duncan was given a presentation and he showed, um, he showed just a quick screenshot of how Hazel worked and, uh, literally, uh, an entire conference room of organizers gasped in delight, uh, With that Hazel hazel demonstration. That's like the perfect audience for that. Yeah. Yeah. They loved it.
1: I bet that's a fun crowd. I bet that'd be a great conference (laughs) to go
3: to. Yeah. Brooks did a great job. And it's very, um, there was a digital element element for every uh, session. So every session there was at least somebody speaking on some sort of uh, digital uh, component. So it's a big, it's a big thing in our industry.
0: And Darren, one of the reasons we want to have you on is you have figured out a way to mix the digital nerdiness with (laughs) the. You know, the willingness to try and get rid of stuff in your life. And when you told me about that Craigslist text expander snippet, for instance, I thought we got to have this guy on the show. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. well,
1: let's let's just back up to set, set this up is, you know, we were we were talking about getting rid of some of this this physical clutter. And and so uh, the the whole premise of this is how can I use this technology, this digital stuff to get rid of this physical stuff that I've that I've got in my life? How can I bridge that gap?
3: Right. So. I I have a blog post that uh, details my Craigslist text expander, and in the first half of it, I just uh, caution everyone like that. I for my clients, I tell them the same thing that when you're getting away with clutter, like I strongly recommend, um, if you're going to use any kind of technological help, uh, Google your nearest uh, goodwill or a charity like that, because I think donations are still champ. It will uh, get the things out of there faster so that you can get closer to your goal. And uh, if you work with me, I take it away uh, myself as part of my services. But um, if you do go to Craigslist, uh, just make sure it's worth your time because uh, again, we're talking about time is so valuable um, and garage sales and everything can sound romantic to some but it really uh, it can be a waste of a weekend So when you do go to Craigslist if you have something that's going to sell for usually my benchmark is at least50 dollars yours might be more uh, probably not less um, and I did it enough that uh, I created a Craigslist snippet that, Enters some things into your craigslist listing automatically that i think uh will reduce like the flaky responses that you sometimes get on craigslist and just make it uh easier yeah i
0: just never get over how people uh, on craigslist they call you and they say okay I have it. It works. I'll sell it to you for $100. And they say, yes, $100. And then I say, okay, $100. I will not negotiate with you when you arrive at wherever <laughs> we are arriving. It's, it's $100, right? Yeah, that's right. Then they show up and they say, you know, I only have 80. Is that okay? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> yeah. And and
3: often it, it can be a question of whether they show up or not. Um, but at least this snippet will help you since I've used it, I've had really good results because it, it just has a couple of, of staple things in that ask for people to leave a phone number, which helps a lot and asks uh, and sort of cautions scammers not to even respond. So you shouldn't get too many international requests to, you know, send a m- money order or something. Yeah, I- I'm at that w- Go ahead, Katie. Yeah,
1: I try not to sell a lot of stuff on, on Craigslist just cause I, you know, I don't like the idea of someone, really don't like the idea of somebody come to my house. The only time I really ever do that is when I'm moving and leaving and, you know, this isn't going to be my house anymore. But, you know, then you got to go somewhere and meet somebody. And, you know, right. like David says, you always have the problem if they don't have the 80 bucks. But, you know, I also don't like the thing of, you know, people start texting me and I usually, I usually just say phone calls only, no text or. Right. Um, and I'll usually give them my Google voice number for something like that.
3: Um, yeah, I think I think that's a great idea. There's also uh, uh, that app called Burner that you can, if you really don't want uh, a number that gives you a temporary number.
5: Oh,
1: yeah,
3: that's I smart.
0: That. That's hmm. smart. I have to be honest, I, I almost don't use it anymore. I've got to the point where I'll sell it on a service like Gazelle or I will um, – just go to the Goodwill there. My kids are at that weird phase where they've gone from being kids to young adults. So we're looking around our house and all of a sudden realizing we have all of this stuff that we're just done with. Right. And, um, there's a Goodwill drop off between my house and my work. So I almost, at least once a week, I'm dropping stuff off there to the point that they, they know me by name. Now they're like, Hey Dave, how's it going? <laughs> you know, <laughs> no,
3: <that's laughs> and, uh, that, that feels pretty good. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's uh again, I think I think if you're doing like a cl- clean sweep like that, if you really want to see some results, um, then donation is the best way to go. And I think I think something like Gazelle is really good. Like um, I've I've gone on eBay recently and I still find again, it's a matter of time. And I find like the time and the effort it takes to they've streamlined their listing and everything. But the time and effort it takes to. Um, ship and all that other nonsense is, is usually not, not enough. I do have um, a couple of alternative ideas to Craig's list. Um, One is a new iPhone app called uh, uh, rummager. I think it has a funky new internet spelling, which is R U M G R. Um, And I think that's active in, Las Vegas, LA, and Orange County, David. And um, and then uh, my f- internet friend, Rick Starrs, over at uh, App Instructor, uh, told me about a thing called Facebook Trading Post, which I guess is a national thing. He was in Alabama. He just moved to Minneapolis. But he said the Alabama one is huge. Um, there's like 40,000 people on it. And the idea behind... The two of those is that there's some accountability, right, Katie, like that you're signing in as yourself and it's not as anonymous as Craigslist. Um, So those might be worth checking out. And then the last one is um, Stephen Frank, who's, I think, pretty well known in the Mac community, uh, has a thing called the Internet Garage Sale um, and that's been going on for a long time, I think since 2009, maybe a little bit earlier. And that's sort of like a very small, um, exclusive uh, eBay alternative. And I, I haven't gone there. I don't go there a lot. But when I do, there's usually uh, some interesting um, old Macs being sold. Um, it's very technology uh, forward because it's a lot of people from the Mac community, but that's worth checking out as well.
0: Yeah. And Keegan in the chat room is saying, uh, sell on Amazon, um, you know, Amazon. So a lot of people have said that in fact.
3: Yeah. I think maybe the advantage on Amazon when I've used it in the past is that it can sit there for a while. Like if you're not in any kind of rush, but again, if you're trying for my, for my goals with trying to declutter my clients, um, like I don't want a couple, uh, I don't want like a stack of DVDs sitting around waiting for uh, somebody to request, you know, your VHS copy of Beauty and the Beast. But uh, for some items, I think it it is a good solution. Yeah.
0: Well, see what you know, I was saying while you were when you got disconnected, I was saying that in my house, my in fact, I told you this when we met my wife is she loves to keep stuff and I just can't stand it. So right. whenever whenever she says, OK, let's get rid of that. It is immediate. I mean, I, I get that thing into the trunk before the sentence is finished and I get to Goodwill and I you know, I ha- I can't keep it around. I don't I don't want anybody to change their mind. Right. That's
3: perfect. Yeah. Right. I yeah, I feel the same way when the clients give me the go ahead. And one of the things I love they do on those organization shows. This really isn't that tech related, but I think it's a great
0: idea. Is just to take everything out of the room, and you know, like they put it on blankets or whatever, and and then you see the room empty. Exactly. And it's so refreshing. It's a lot easier to. Yeah. Kind of exactly.
3: Yeah. Exactly. And and it has like a a tech um, counterpart too. Like if you're clean, when you refresh your MacBook, which you did recently, right, Katie?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's a similar thing. You pull everything out of the garage and then you can start to categorize stuff. Here's all the lawn equipment. Here's all the sports stuff. Here's all the kids stuff. And then, you know, selectively start to put it back in. Because both on computers and garage, like that blank space, it just looks so gorgeous at the beginning. And then you can selectively decide what you want.
1: Cool. Well, Darren, um, I want you to leave us with, with two things. Number one, um, obviously tell people where they can find you. But s- secondly, give us maybe your, your one favorite tip that we didn't talk about today for uh, getting keeping or the clutter at bay.
3: Okay. So uh, people can find me and my website is boss, uh, boss with one S, bossorganization.com. And I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. Uh, it's also a boss organization. And let's see, my favorite tip for uh, keeping clutter at bay. Well, I think just it's a it's a simple concept, but it's uh, huge in the Internet or in the organizing world, which is uh, sorting like with like. So if you're in any kind of situation where you're overwhelmed, just like we were talking about, whether it's a garage or starting off with a small space, you just find those categories. So you pull that stuff out and then and then categories are already there. Um, they'll start to emerge. Just put that stuff together and then you're selectively putting that stuff back in, the stuff that makes sense. But I think people are surprised because it looks like a whole mess of assorted things but the categories are already there you just need to define them better when you put them back in and labels it's just like labels can oh, help that and
0: also just like we just cleaned our kitchen and we pulled out everything out of the drawers we we went the darren boss method yeah, right? nice. and, and there was like six cheese slicers and we like well pick the best one <laughs> right and get rid of the other five yeah you know, exactly When you see them together, you realize that sometimes you have more than you need.
3: Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes unitaskers like cheese slicers can be, you can, you can let those go. You can be like, well, we can slice the cheese with a big knife. Yeah. Now you're talking crazy. (laughs) I've gone too far.
6: Well, Darren,
1: thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you
3: guys. It was a real honor and a pleasure to be on here. It's one of my favorite podcasts.
1: Well, thank you. We will have links in the show notes to everything that you've talked about, um, as well as as links to your sites and, and where people can find you on on Twitter. So uh, hopefully, they can check out uh, how to get boss organized. All right, so uh, let's let's move on a little bit and let's talk about organizing some of the space on your hard drive. And yeah. we have two questions here, um, both from people named Michael, but I, I promise I checked, they're not the same person. <laughs> so,
0: Absolutely not the same person.
1: All right. So uh, here's, here's the first Michael coming.
0: Hi, Katie and David. My
5: name is Mike. I'm talking to you from White Plains, New York. Huge fan of the show. been listening to you ever since I got my first MacBook Air in November of 2012 and have listened to you ever since. Um, Writing or talking to you today with a question about my MacBook Air. When I bought it, I got the 256-gig hard drive, and now I want to upgrade to a larger one from OWC. And to make my life easier, I wanted to make a system image backup from my current computer and then restore it on the new hard drive once it's installed. From listening to your show, I know that SuperDuper, Carbon Copy Cloner, and ChronoSync will all do that. And I wanted to get your advice on the best program to use and if there are any key differences and features that I should be aware of. Uh, thanks for your help, and keep up the great work.
0: Okay, so I, I wouldn't use car, uh, ChronoSync for that problem. Um, it's not really a a disk. It doesn't make a mirror image of your disk. It just does a really good job of of copying certain files on it. Well, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will do a mirror image, but that's not what it's designed for.
1: No, I, I agree. Super duper carbon copy cloner is what, what you want to do for that. But first off, how cool is it that you can now upgrade the SSD in your um, MacBook Air?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just a little chip. I mean, it's, <laughs> I I'm doing this tomorrow. My sister-in-law, in fact, Leilani, the person who does the proofreading for the max Barkey field guys, she's got a, uh, it's a six year old MacBook now, and she doesn't want to replace it. She's happy with it, but it needs a new battery and a new hard drive. So I've got a external, um, external, uh, device that I can plug a hard drive into. So I, I ordered her a new one. I have, um, put it into the external device now so when she comes over tomorrow i'll run a super doper clone of the entire drive onto the external one then i'll open up the mac and, and this is one of the older ones where you actually have to take a screwdriver to it to get to the hard drive and the um then i will be replacing the the new drive for the old one and she should be working just fine it's not it's not that difficult of an operation
2: yeah,
1: and of course, that's going to vary by the different model Mac that you have. Yeah. And the the process for restoring the data to your drive is, is really going to depend. Are you really just doing a take all the data off and put it back in and restore? Um, and if so, that's that's pretty easy. It's really just a matter of you know taking – first, I would make a backup before I even crack the case, but making a backup of your drive – in many cases, you can even take the old hard drive out, put it in an enclosure. A lot of times uh, OWC will sell you an enclosure because I know the MacBook Air specifically hard drive um, is a is a very different size, and it won't fit into a standard enclosure. Um, and, and that can be your new backup drive, and you can use that for something else. And then you just um, start back up the Mac uh, – you know, usually you would reboot it from the recovery partition or you would download an operating system um, you know using internet recovery, and then either use migration assistant or just straight clone your data back on.
0: yeah, so uh, and I think uh, super duper or carbon copy cloner are both absolutely fine for that problem.
1: yeah um, A related question uh, that I think maybe we'll we'll get into some additional discussion about is from Michael. And let's see. He says, I have a late 2011 MacBook Pro, and I've upgraded with a 750-gigabyte spinning hard drive. I'd like to get another year or two out of the machine, and an SSD seems like the thing. I agree. He says, however, my hard drive is down to 90 gigabytes free, and a 750-gigabyte or 1-terabyte SSD is quite pricey, $400 to $500 minimum. And for a new machine down the road, it's worse. MacBook Airs currently max out at 512 gigabytes. And I bet many other users with older hard drive-based Macs who are moving into the brave new SSD world might benefit benefit from some advice on downsizing.
0: Yeah, they would. <laughs> you know, the next time I get a Mac with an SSD, I'm gonna pay the extra to get the biggest SSD I can get in it. Because uh, this is a problem that I'm always dealing with. I've got a 512 gigabyte in my MacBook Pro. And uh, I get by with it okay, but it does take a lot of management because I have so many different things I do in my life. You know, making the videos for these uh, books is very uh, memory intensive in terms of storage. And so I've got, I'm always like bumping into it and making the audio files for the show. So I actually do some media rich stuff, but even people who aren't producing videos, watch videos and videos take a lot of room. So where do you go for solutions? Uh, Don McAllister did a show on it uh, back in the day when the 64 gigabyte MacBook air first came out. And if you go over to screencast online, you can probably find that. Um,
1: And that was, uh, that was really drastic because man, 64 gigabytes.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. And then you look at something uh like what what is the internet doing to help us out? Just and we're going to talk about the w w d dc stuff at the end. But like the iCloud changes in Yosemite, I think will make a difference. We just did a show uh, a few weeks ago where we bemoaned, you know, the lack of cloud storage for photos. And then immediately and it look, got Sherlock. Yeah, well, no Our show, I, I don't call it yeah, but yeah, the show did. But I think it's great. I, I will willingly accept that if Apple is going to truly deliver on the solution. I mean, the big question is, will they deliver? They say they're going to do it, but is it going to be fast and reliable and give us, you know, the kind of uh, comfort we need if we're going to turn over all our pictures to it? But that that's a big problem for a lot of people is their picture library is going to fill up their drive. And with the video, it's kind of the same thing. So with video, I've kind of reverted to just buying video from Apple. And I've talked about this on the show before. As my kids get older, we don't buy nearly as much video as we used to. You know, when you have little kids, they will watch, you know, they will watch a video over and over and over again. And as adults, we'll watch it once or twice. So I'm quite happy renting a movie when I'm going to watch it. But some things came out. Like I bought Katie will be proud of me. Star Trek into darkness. Good. Yeah. Because you know, my daughter has a thing for Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm pretty sure that's why she wanted it. But uh, so we have we have a copy of that movie now. And it I just bought it in iTunes. And now it's always available on my devices. And I don't have to keep it on my devices. And I understand that it's DRM would and something could happen in the future where I lose access to it. And there's all sorts of issues with it. But, you know, for my life, this is just fine. And I probably bought like two or three, you know, movies last year. Um, but if you have more movies, you can rip them. Uh, and we've talked, we've done shows in the past about how to do that. And my, my advice would be keep those movies on external storage. Like in our house, we have one of the directories in our drobo is called media. And in that directory is one called movies and all the movies that we've ripped over the years that we thought were worthy of keeping are in there. And whenever I want to see one on my Mac or my kids want to see it, they just pull it off the drobo and put it on their local Mac long enough to watch it. And they, um, and then they delete them. Oh, you want know, a cool story, Katie? Uh, my youngest daughter uh, and I, I was working on her computer. She's on a MacBook air now. And I saw that she had the original trilogy, you know, episodes four five and six of, of star Wars on there.
1: I'm sorry. Are there other episodes that I should be aware of?
0: No, there are not. No, okay. there are. Not. And, and she, and I said, Sarah, I said, are you going to be watching these soon? Cause you know, the fact that she wants to watch them always makes me happy. And she's like, dad, I just keep these on my, my Mac all the time.
1: Oh, so that, At any moment,
0: you can pull them up. I just, you know, I just. Now I'm, I'm doing it right. That's all I can say. But anyway, so you put the movies off site. So if you get rid of the movies and you get rid of the pictures, then you look at whatever other your big media files are. Um, sometimes like people, if they have a business where they do a lot of writing, maybe they've got a lot of uh, files, but generally those don't take up as much space. But if you can hit those big bucket items like video and pictures, you probably can get away with a standard SSD storage for the rest of your stuff. And that's how I solved the problem.
1: Well, I've got a 256 on my current MacBook Air, and it's been enough for me. It's starting to get a little tight. Um, You know, when I start getting lower than, you know, maybe 60 gigs free, I, I start to get a little nervous. And I will probably pay the extra couple of bucks to go to 512 with the next machine that I buy. But I can make do with 256. And the reason for that really is at this point in my life, I don't have a lot of pictures. Um, I have a decent number of pictures, but not a ton, so my, my iPhoto library is probably only 15 or 20 gigs, and I don't keep any movies in my iTunes library. I keep those, again, like you, off-site on my iDrobo, and my primary iTunes library is on my Drobo, and I just kind of keep a, a smaller copy with iTunes Match on my MacBook Air with just the stuff that I really want to listen to. So I think you've really honed in. Your biggest problem is going to be your media, audio, video, um, music, photos, iTunes, iPhoto. But again, the, the iPhoto stuff I think is going to help when Yosemite or when this new Photos app comes out next year. I think iTunes in the cloud is going to help Um, with some of that. But I think the big thing is people really need to do a serious evaluation of what data do you need to have with you at all times um, versus what can be archived or kept on external storage. Uh, And be aware that if you keep data in multiple places, like if you keep data on that external hard drive, um, then you also may be creating a backup problem for yourself and that that's your primary copy of data. And oh, yeah, you, you have to back that up as well.
0: Absolutely. In fact, that leads to another question we've got later. Uh, and we can talk about that in just a minute.
1: So, but there are definitely ways to handle it. There are definitely ways to to get by on smaller storage spaces. But I, I think you, you need to have some, some kind of, of larger pot of storage, whether it be another computer that is maybe your primary computer or uh, a, a network attached storage drive or just a really big hard drive that, that you keep other stuff with.
0: And Barry Barry in the chat room makes a good point that the uh, the big thing that takes up the most space on his hard drive is my books, yes. which uh, have all the video in them. And my solution for that is just delete everything you need to keep all of my books on all of your devices at all the time. Then you'll be fine.
1: Priorities, people.
0: Yes. Uh, also, Chris in the chat room mentions that the you know an upgrade for your Drobo would be the Brobo upgrade that refi- rechanges the name of every file to dude. Uh
1: huh. Yeah. Okay.
0: I don't know if, if the guys at Drobo are listening, I, that might be worth worth pursuing.
1: On that note, I think we, uh, we better take a quick break here and uh, talk about our first sponsor, David. All right. And, uh, and th- that would be you.
0: Yeah, of course. That's <laughs> about to start. Uh, that's lynda.com. Uh, you know, TV shows are now hitting the reruns. So what are you going to do over the summer? Uh, I, I've got a good idea. I want you trying to try and learn something and lynda.com is a place to do that. lynda.com helps you learn to keep up to date with your software, pick brand new skills, explore new hobbies with their easy to follow video tutorials. Whether you want to get the tips on the latest online tools, learn how to use Photoshop or improve your photography skills, lynda.com has thousands of video courses and a variety of topics and it is thousands of videos, over 2,400 co- courses taught by industry experts with more added weekly. In fact, one of my favorite emails I get every week, Katie Floyd, is that email from Linda saying what they've got new this week. And I always am adding them to my to my list. And I've got some great videos in my list right now. Let me go over. I've got my playlist open here. Um, they just issued a getting things done uh, video with David Allen. I'm going to be watching that one. I mean he's he's doing a lynda.com stuff now. Um wow. yeah, there's there's one that I'm really interested in by Stefan Mumaw, M U M A W, called Breaking Out of a Rut. And uh, he says, learn how to break out of a rut. He offers rut-busting techniques that give you the nudge you need to start moving again. If you feel like you're a little overwhelmed, you know, you can learn something about that. There's also stuff in here about programming for the Mac and iOS. And with this new Swift programming language, I'm sure we're going to have some great videos from them very shortly. If you want to just say, hey, it's time for me to start learning to program, this would be a great place to start. Uh, there's also one in there on iBooks Author Essential Training. People are always asking me about that. Um, and there's one in here that Chris Breen just did on getting business done with the iPad. It's, there's just so many and I get that email every week and then I add them to my list and then I can sit up here in my room and watch videos while I'm checking the mail or doing other things and, and learn stuff. It's just a great way to go about this. So you go check out lynda.com. Um, they have, uh, all the courses are produced in the highest quality. Uh, You can watch from your computer, your tablet, or mobile device. One of my favorite places to do this is on the treadmill on my iPad. Uh, The courses are broken into bite-sized pieces. So whether you have 15 minutes or 15 hours, you can learn at your own pace. And everything is marked as chapters. So if you want to learn an app and you really understand one part, but you don't understand another part, you can quickly jump to it. Uh, The learning and tools include searchable transcripts and playlists and certificates of course completion, if you really need that. And uh, premium members with an annual plan can download courses to their iPads iPhones and iPads and watch them offline. So uh, we've talked to Linda and they've agreed to make a deal for Mac Power use, uh, users listeners. Uh, Linda.com will provide a spe- special offer with access to the entire library for seven days. So, go to lynda.com slash Mac Power Users. That's L Y N D A dot com slash Mac Power Users with no spaces, and you get free seven days. And it's not a limited trial. You can go crazy and spend all that time watching these lynda.com courses. I bet you'll end up signing up. I keep seeing Twitter uh, comments from some of our listeners who've signed up and enjoying it. Thanks, Linda, for supporting the show.
1: All right. So, I I try to group these while I'm doing the show notes for these MPU live shows in, into themes, and and sometimes themes develop, and and sometimes they don't. But uh, in this particular episode, we had a nice little little run of themes, and the first theme uh, that we have is about if this. Than that. So uh, I'm going to start out with a, um, a follow up to a previous if this then that tip that we had. I, I think it was last MPU Live, maybe it was one before that, um, about an alternative for mileage tracking. Uh, and it gets kind of geeky. So, uh, so here we go.
2: Hi, Katie and David. In the last live show, you talked about some comments and questions that came in regarding tracking one's business miles for tax purposes. Um, I work between two places that are about 90 miles apart. And so I do a lot of commuting. And I was waiting for the automatic channel to come up, and then it never did. And I was really surprised because this is uh, one of my favorite uh, recipes, and if this and that, and one of my favorite channels is uh, the automatic channel. So you need to buy the automatic device in order to use the channel. It's a hundred bucks, but it's totally worth it. You plug that into your car's diagnostic port and it tracks all sorts of information about your car um, and your driving habits. But you set up a recipe to say, if I complete a trip, then write that data to a row in a Google spreadsheet. You know, you can tweak the ingredients for what information it writes to that Google spreadsheet, but it's up to you. That's the starting of it. That's the basic way to track all of your trip's Um, overall, and then if you wanted, you could later on classify them as business or personal. But what I do is I go within the Google Sheet, I add some um, basic formulas to another column and use that to parse out my business trips to another sheet. Add a column on to the end of what Automatic writes to this Google Sheet. Column name is just type. I've just got the Google version of an if-else statement saying if the trigger I set for you know defining a business trip is true, then in this cell put the word business or work. So I've set my trigger within Automatic or within this recipe as the latitude and longitude that Automatic registers with my workplace. My if-else statement just says If this latitude and longitude are present either as the starting point or the ending point, then classify this as a work trip. Then I add another sheet to that same workbook. That sheet is just for business trips, and all you need to do in this sheet is you put the same columns with the same information. In this business trip sheet, you just write a bunch of if-else statements that say, if in this row... On the all trips sheet, this trip in this row is registered as a work or business trip. Then copy the information from that row over to this sheet. Um, I'm working on scripting it to try and get some more automation in there because I'm as if I'm not lazy enough to uh, get it to automatically pull out the rows that end up not being work trips and sort of concatenating them. So. Uh, You can calculate various statistics or maybe export it to an Excel file. But that's how I've done uh, my business mile tracking. And even if you don't want to do all the extra stuff in Google Sheets, you can still use the the automatic channel to track all of your trips. And um, that takes you a long way on its own. So uh, hopefully this was helpful. And thanks for all you do on the show. Wow, Wow.
0: that's impressive. (laughs) Now, um, there's also a Keegan in the chat room right now. I suspect it may be the same person saying that uh, DashLab also is in If This Then That. So that's another option. I, you know, when I saw that automatic device, because I'm always watching the If This Then That new channels. And and I have to admit, I have bought some things just because they showed up in If This Then That. I was very tempted. And now this is even more tempting, you know, just to put add that level of geekery to my to my commuting.
1: I don't know that I want to know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's in the, in his case, he needs to, because he's got this long commute and he wants to track this information and he doesn't want to waste his time dealing with it. So that's,
1: that's very true. And it, and it solves a problem. And, and it's really one of those things that once you set it up the first time, uh, and by the way, we should mention that the Keegan wrote all of this out and, and gives you some of the formulas. So we'll have a link to the blog post that he put up, um, if, if you didn't catch all that and if you were writing feverishly or if you were in the car trying to figure it all out, we'll have a, a link to that blog post in the show notes so you can you can try to replicate his his steps and his Google spreadsheet information. But if, if this is something that you have to do all the time, you have to track your miles for business, but you know that you always go – these places are always business-related and you seem to always start or end from the same places – um. Then, yeah, it's absolutely worth spending a couple of hours on a weekend setting this up and not having to worry about it anymore. And just yeah, you and check you, the spreadsheet at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes.
0: And I was thinking, if you let's like, say you're a salesperson and you don't go to the same place every time, so you're going to have it tracking your your trips for you and your mileage. Um, you could you could go into the Google spreadsheet and you could manually you know, have a checkbox that say, you know, work related or a description, but I think it'd be better if you could do it at the phone. And I don't know enough about the automatic device. Does it have an app? And I don't, there must be a way you could do that on the phone at the time of the event. But yeah, this is, this is kind of fun. I like this stuff. And, uh, and thanks Keegan for sharing that. And so we'll, we'll put the blog post in the show notes so you can go check it out further if you if this is something of interest to you. Um, we also heard from a lot of listeners about, because I've been bemoaning the fact that, hey, if this and that doesn't let me pay them and I'm afraid they're going to one day disappear, blah, blah, blah. Um, there is a service that you can pay for out there. It's called Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R. Um, And we heard from a lot of people. Paul was, I think, the first who wrote in about this. But he said, uh, David mentioned he was worried about if this then that had an option to upgrade to a paid service. And he just discovered the Zapier at zapier.com. They have a limited free option and then some paid options. They don't have mobile apps. So the things like location-aware alerts aren't available. But things like being able to monitor multiple Gmail accounts is a great thing. And he uses if this than that still, but he also uses Zapier for some of the more interesting recipes. They've got over 250 online apps they interface with. It's a nice option. I went and signed up for an account this week, and I've been playing with it a little bit. Um, I don't have anything to report just yet. I want to spend some more time on it. But uh, I, this will be coming up again on the show. And uh, for those of you out there interested in these services, this would be a good one to check out.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, keeping up with the uh, the next if this than that theme that we've got going on here. Um, let's listen to Lee, who has a tip about using if this than that Pocket and Devon thing. So I think we hit a few trifectas there.
7: Yeah. This is Lee from all the way over in the United Kingdom. I've got a tip which is directly related to the fact that Pocket now has a premium feature, which has many advantages. However, the main one for me is the fact that you can search now through your archives using keywords based on the content of the article rather than the current search mechanism, which is based on the URL and the title. I got to thinking, how can I have the same kind of features, but with the tools that I've already got? So I've paid for DevonThink Pro Office for my paperless workflow, which, as you know, it's, it's not cheap, so I want to get as much squeeze out of it as I possibly can. So using that, and using the fact that I use If This and That quite religiously, It didn't actually take me that long to think of a workflow that would allow me to archive pocket articles to searchable documents in DevonThink with just one click. And it is as follows. Job number one is to use if this and that. So you can use the application obviously via the website or download the iOS app. So search for a recipe called if you favorite in pocket, then convert to PDF and save to Dropbox. So essentially, as soon as I click the star button in Pocket with regards to an article, it would automatically turn it into a PDF and it will save it to Dropbox. Job number one. Job number two, this is a DevonThink side now. You need to download the Apple script from DevonThink's site, which is called DevonThink Auto OCR and Delete. I will then attach that particular script to the Dropbox folder where I have pointed the pocket articles to go. As soon as my laptop starts up the script will run and any PDFs that have been placed into that particular folder will be imported into DevonThink, OCRs and the original deleted, meaning that the next time I open up DevonThink I should have 10, 15, 20, however many it is, searchable PDFs which are actually web archives. I can then do exactly what I want with those particular documents. You know, I think that's, that's, that's quite a decent, decent workflow. I've only been a Mac user now for six months and, but your podcast has just got me hooked. I absolutely love the stuff that you do. You influence me so much. So please keep it going and I hope you like the workflow. Thanks. Bye. That was great. I thought that
0: was great. The way he was able to combine different apps and he's a Mac user for six months. Isn't that awesome?
1: Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, very cool. The, I uh, I I haven't played with the Pocket Premier service. I haven't signed up for it yet. I, I've got my stuff in Pocket. I know you were with if you were with um, Instapaper, and I know Instapaper has recently improved their support and for they're Ifth, working this, yeah. that.
1: and they're working on more.
0: Now, do they have tags at this point? Because for me, the tags are a huge deal. Like, one of the things I would do for Lee is maybe I would uh, d- have different tags for different DevonThink Think databases or, you know, rather than just using favorites, I would use tags. So then I I don't like the idea of favorites because that might be a lot of things. But, you know, that that's just the way I would have handled it. Um, does Does Instapaper have tags at this point?
1: No, no tags.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to be checking it out and I'm going to be looking into the pocket Premiere service because I I really like the ability to save it later. In fact, when Darren asked earlier, did you read that Darren Firebar article? No, I just put it in pocket. And when I get some time, I'll be going and catching up. There was a lot of great news this week on WWDC and I'm really looking forward to uh, tomorrow, Sunday, sitting outside in a nice comfy chair with a drink and catching up. Um, we should probably do an ad. We've, uh, we've got a lot to cover still.
1: Well, I do want to talk about our next sponsor. Uh, they are returning back to the show, and that is our good friends at Hover. And we've talked about Hover. They are the only place that I use when I want to register a domain name. And when an idea pops in your head, you can just search onto Hover uh, and boom, you can find what you're looking for. And if that particular domain name isn't available, they've got this really fancy AI computer algorithmic thingy um, that will help you find something. If you just enter in a few keywords, Hover will show you the best available options and suggestions. Um, They have a huge variety of domain name extensions. They've got .com, .net, .io, um, all the great country codes to to fit your needs. In fact, David, did you know that I just registered mpu.fm?
0: No, but thank you for doing that. You're
1: welcome. And I did that through Hover. And everything you get with Hover, it also currently redirects to MacPowerUsers.com because Hover's got a very smart control panel with built-in DNS, so you can uh, manage all of your redirects and all of that stuff. And you can even add custom email or Google Apps if you want to do that as well. You know, I, I use Google Apps. We use Google Apps for Mac Power users. But one of the kind of the pains about Google Apps is that they don't have the best customer support in the world, like, at all. It's hard to find them, get in hold with them. Um, But they've got these great productivity apps like Calendar and Drive and Docs. And so wouldn't it be great if you could just have the beauty of using Google Apps and integrate it with all of your Hover stuff, but yet maybe go through Hover for your customer support because, you know, those guys are great. You just call them and they pick up the phone. Well, you can. Um, You can add Google Docs directly to all of your services that you purchase through Hover And you can buy it through Hover. You can even try it for free for 30 days uh, on your Hover domain if you want to see what it's like to do. So uh, Hover also offers their signature valet transfer service that will make it as easy as possible to move your domains from other providers at no additional cost. So if you've got domains spread out across the Internet and you want to consolidate them all at Hover, um, just give them a call. A real live human being will actually talk to you. Uh, no wait, no hold. They're not going to transfer you from person to person, um, and they'll help you get that done. So head over to Hover.com. Uh, see what what you can find over there to register your new domains or look at transferring your current domains over to Hover. Um, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using coupon code. Oh, I don't think I can say that, David.
0: I think you have to say it, Katie Floyd.
1: Ugh. You can use coupon code WARGAMES. W-A-R-G-A-M-E-S, all one
0: word. I, I don't think I heard that. Could you say What was it again, Katie?
1: The coupon code is WARGAMES, whatever that might be. All right. So thank you to Hover for supporting MacPower users and 5 by 5
0: We uh, uh, We got a lot of questions about this issue of estate planning your technology over the last few months. And we thought, let's put in a little segment in the live show. And Chris's email, I thought, kind of encapsulated the problem. He said, I'm a computer geek in the family, glacially moving towards paperless well, I know a book book for you, Chris. Uh, But he said there's a potential dark side to this if one's loved ones or executors are not as computer centric. And he can imagine all sorts of advantage of having the computer, iOS, identity, data, wills, living trust, health, and all that stuff uh, put into these digital formats. But is it accessible to them, you know, in real time, regardless of geography, one password seems a great repository for all the sorts of information. However, giving us one password, master password, to anyone else, no matter how trustworthy absolutely trashes the concept of an audit trail. So he says, what do you do? And, um, I think the best thing we can talk about is what we do. And, you know, we're not, we, we are lawyers, but we're not giving a legal advice on this show about how to handle this kind of stuff. Um, Uh, But I do think you need a plan for what we call the digital estate. You know, what are you going to do if you've got all this stuff stored on your computers and people need to get access to it if you get hit by a bus? Um, I think it can actually make things easier, but it does take a little planning. And and Katie, you had some nice thoughts on this in the outline.
1: Yeah. You know, this one of this I had this conversation with my mom when she was at Macworld because Allison Sheridan did that uh, did that talk at Macworld. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see it. I think it was called In Case of Digital Disaster. And um, my mom's original perspective on this was, what do I care? You'll just hack into all of our stuff. And I said, well, but I have to care because you have to be able to get into all of my stuff. And it's a really bad idea, by the way, for you to use the same four passwords for everything. I shouldn't be able to hack into all of your stuff. So we're working on all that and work, working on on getting them transitioned into a better plan. But Basically, what I do is most of my information. Uh, I have physical paper information. I have my will. I have my power of attorney. I have my healthcare surrogates. I have things like that, and I've dispersed copies to family members. But I have physical copies of those documents um, in a in a safe. And is in that I also keep a copy of a, the one password emergency kit. And that was something that you can find on the productivityist blog, um, and I've put a link into that to the show notes. And I've edited a little bit. And my family is fortunate; they they know what one password is. They use it, so they they understand technically how it works. But then I've told them, I said, look, you're not going to know any of my passwords to any of my services because they're all unique and randomly generated. You're not going to be able to get to any of my stuff. But what I will do is I will keep all of my stuff in there. And, and that way, if you can get into there, you can get into that. So that 1Password emergency kit um, has my computer password on it, has my Dropbox password. It has my Apple ID and password. Um, it has my 1Password master password. And then basically the information that you would need when starting from scratch. Um, And it has a a, a little generic information about, hey, inside 1Password, this is what you're going to find and this is where you need to look. And I also keep inside there uh, a secure note that details all of my current obligations. Um, So, like, if something happened to me, maybe I'm not dead, but – you know, maybe I, I can't do anything right now. Um, this is what you need to know to keep the lights on and electricity flowing and all of that other stuff. Um, so I have a secure note that says, um, these are all my current obligations, my mortgage, my credit cards, my, you know, monthly bills and all of this. And And these are all of my assets. This is my life insurance. This is where I bank. This is where my retirement is kept. And these are the contact people for those. Um, And by the way, you can find hard copies of all of these documents inside Evernote. And, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of it. And um, I just direct them to, this is what you need to know. Here's where the stuff is. Good luck.
0: Yeah. And and Chris's last question was, you know, giving my one password to anyone else, no matter how trustworthy, you know, hurts the whole process. And in my case, I've just decided I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I did a very similar process that Katie did. I have created an, a secure note in my wife's one password database and, and she knows it's there and I've shown it to her. That's got kind of an explanation of everything. And also I've got some local nerd friends, you know, people who totally understand this stuff that she could contact who these people at this point are her friends too. If she really needed help getting into the stuff, if I, you know, had a untimely, you know, but the, uh, as I was preparing for the show, I realized there's a hole in my system. If Daisy and I both get hit by a bus at the same time, uh, there's really nothing to do. And it would be very difficult to get a lot of the information they needed. So I'm going to be updating this and getting my sisters involved in some way. Uh, I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but this is a problem. I don't think there's really an easy solution for it.
1: Well, I I think maybe fixing that hole in your system and I'm going to have to think about, about mine as well, but, putting enough information um, on that piece of paper, and you don't want to be overly complicated, but putting enough information on that piece of paper that says, listen, this is where I keep all of my, this is the one place where I keep all of my data that you can go find. Um, this is how you get into it. And these are the preliminary passwords that you're going to need to at least get access to this information. Uh, and here are the names of a couple people who can help, um, you know, grab my computer, grab my iPhone, grab my iPad, and and you'll, because you, all those things sync up and you'll find copies of the information there. I mean, if you can at least leave that much information along with the physical copies of of your important documents, whoever is left behind to, to deal with it, whether it be your sister or your kids or or whoever, they'll at least have a starting point and maybe they can grab the help of a friend and say, okay, well, I don't know what this is, but I know that I have to look for this one password thing and that this is the password to it and this is the password to get into the computer, so... Oh, and this is someone who can help me figure out where these things are.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and frankly, as I think about it, my kid, my oldest daughter certainly is old enough to be, you know, managing this if I do it in a secure way. Uh, Barry in the chat room says that there's no problem. We just have to call the NSA and ask for their copies. Yeah. <laughs> <could all> <laughs> now uh, this is an issue i'm very curious to hear what the listeners think about this and how they've solved these problems because i don't think there's a a simple solution uh one password definitely for me is is a big piece of this this problem in uh in terms of allowing me to keep it secure but also giving them one place to go and have all the information and i think that the clever use of secure notes is a good idea too
1: yeah, what I have done is I've kept digital copies that I've scanned with my ScanSnap um, in Evernote. is Is where I've kept like my life insurance policies, my retirement policies, my you know all of those types of things. I, I'm wondering because one password really, although you can store documents in one password, it really isn't meant for that. But I'm wondering if maybe I should put a few of those mission critical documents in one password as well. I don't know.
0: That's not a bad idea, but I mean, if they understand enough that. I don't know do you have these things in Dropbox or Evernote or evernote, are they yeah. just yeah. yeah, so once they got into evernote well, I guess it's, it depends on the technical complexity of your survivors too, but I guess you would have to assume they have zero,
1: yeah, well, that's the idea of here's some trusted tech tech related friends yeah um that you can call on who can at least help you navigate this, But I think the idea of of even going paperless helps with this too, because I know when um, my grandfather passed this, this past year, he did a really good job of, of organizing all of his stuff, but, but we were digging through file cabinets, you know, physical file cabinets, um, you know, spending hours, everything we needed was there, but it was hours of, of digging through things.
0: And yeah, I, and, and my, yeah, that's, I would, a, that's a lot of work. I,
1: I would hope that, digitizing this stuff and, and having it easily organizable and findable would would limit some of that
0: uh, mock doc in the chat room thought you know why not give a copy of your one password uh you know instructions and password to your attorney and say you know if something happens to me give this to my family that's not a bad idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, obviously with any estate plan, and everybody really should have an estate plan, that everybody should have a, a will and, and, and those types of documents, health care, surrogate, power of attorney, and, you know, what you need may vary by your location. I know we've got international listeners, and, and I don't know what those implications are. The um, The 1Password information or, or the, the tech information, whatever that is, needs to be preferably one piece of paper if you can, but needs to be something that is regularly updated, um, and so I would put a, an omni-focus task or some kind of task in, m- in my task management system that that every so often, I'm going to update that information. That's why I personally choose to keep it locally. Some people choose to put it in a safety deposit box. But, you know, if your attorney stores that kind of information from you, I, I know some attorneys do, they may not may not be that big of a deal to drop by their office once every three months and say, hey, can you can you drop this in my file and swap it out for the other one? You know, maybe put it on a fancy colored piece of paper or something, so they just pull the old one out and put the new one in. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Well, that's a start. At least we discussed it. Um, Another topic of feedback we had was OmniFocus tips. So we've talked about that a little bit lately in the show. And there were a couple that I thought were pretty useful. Uh, Dave wrote in and he has uh, a, a task where he sends Microsoft Outlook tasks to OmniFocus, which I thought was kind of Cool. He said, I had a mini epiphany on the porch this morning. Uh, he's been using OmniFocus's ability to harvest reminders from the reminders on the iPhone for a long time. Um, but, you know, he likes to be able to talk the to dos into his OmniFocus task list through Siri, and so do I. I do that all the time. Have you got to using that uh, practice yet, Katie? All the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, And we've talked about that. So you dictate to Siri and an Focus will go into your reminders and pull that out, create a task. But today, uh, Dave said, I realized that I could set my iPad up to do the same thing. But instead of using my iCloud's default reminders group, I set the iPad to harvest tasks from the Outlook task list because your Outlook task list will sync with the reminders app on the iPhone. So now he can drag emails to his task list at work uh, uh, with waiting for or whatever, you know. Uh, category he has and have them appear all in his OmniFocus GTD system. And that made Dave very happy. Uh, As another side, he also realized that someone could set up this dual harvest on a single iPad uh, using OmniFocus for iPad and the OmniFocus iPhone app on the same device, which I thought was kind of clever. I haven't tried it, but I I can't see why that wouldn't work. All right. Uh, So so,
1: let me back up and make sure that none of that got lost. So we know that you can set up OmniFocus to, uh, harvest from your reminders list. And that's pretty easy. You do that in the preferences. You've even got a screencast on it. But if you have like a Microsoft Outlook or an IMAP service and you use Outlook, that will also create its own reminder list um, that you can sync with iOS.
0: So, Well, let me just interrupt you there. If you have an Exchange account, um, Exchange will sync the tasks to the reminders app. To
1: its own Exchange Reminders app, right?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, its own Exchange list in your Reminders app. So if you, say, in OmniFocus for iPad, set that to pull from your Exchange Reminders app, then, yeah. So you can now add tasks in Exchange, and potentially anybody else in in your office who has access to your tasks can add tasks for you into your Exchange. And those, yeah, that's just an easy way to dump into OmniFocus, yeah.
0: Smart. Smart um alex also wrote in about Omnifocus. uh apple mail ruled Omnifocus. he said i like this one yeah this is great i'm gonna actually i've got a post written it's going to go up on monday so um and we're also going to share the details of this but just to uh, explain what it is i had talked about how i don't want to share my super secret omnifocus email address with you which i think you uh, ingest asked for but you may have been serious i was pretty darn serious yeah yeah, and the idea of giving Katie Floyd access to my OmniFocus secret, super secret email addresses, not something I can sleep comfortably with. Uh, but anyway, he devised a way uh, for trusted context to add tests to your OmniFocus inbox, but only with my approval. So instead of giving uh, someone your OmniFocus email address, you tell them to send you an email containing a predefined word or phrase that you can set a mail rule to screen for and then set the action to be followed up with an Apple script. And Alex wrote the Apple script. Uh, It's a great. uh, And uh, so basically, if Katie sends me an email with this key term, I'm going to get a notification and an opportunity to say, do you want to add this to your OmniFocus or not? And he will always say no. I'm pretty sure I will. But either way, that option exists. What a great way to work with staff if you have people that you want to add things to your OmniFocus. And um, so I get a notification when the contact wants to add a task, but I get the option to decline if I want to. And if I want to be especially careful, I can tell my mail rule only to apply this rule to predefined contacts, So only certain people that uh, have can get through the gate to do this. Anyway, I, I thought it was really smart, and uh, we're, I'm going to put a post up. We've got a, uh, Apple script and a shared public Evernote library, so uh, we'll put a link up for that as well in the show notes and go check that out.
1: Yeah, and um, just by the way, David, Omni made this a little bit easier because now you can set up multiple email addresses through their OmniSync service. Yeah. And so you can have your super secret message. ID and then you can set me up with an email address. And if you think that I'm abusing that privilege, you can be like, kill Katie Floyd's email address.
0: Yeah. I just don't like the idea of anybody but me putting things in my beloved omnifocus task list.
1: Um hey, speaking of which, can can I turn this a little bit into an ad spot? Yeah. Because because the omnigroup is our next sponsor.
0: Yeah, they are. And they have a new product out, Omnifocus 2 for the Mac and I am so happy. I'm still giddy about this application. I was in the beta. I was using it. I still smile a little bit every time I open it on my Mac. They really did a great job of advancing an already great product. So OmniFocus 2 is easier to use than ever. I mean, of course it is. That's what their big focus was. They've always known they had a powerful application, but they wanted to make it more accessible to people. They didn't want you to have to watch you know, David's three-hour video in order to make it work. And they've really done a great job of doing that. Um, they Got, uh, they've got they've uh, got new features in it. For instance, if you want to do the um, if you want to look at your tasks over the next week, you can do that the forecast mode. So I can sit here in OmniFocus and say, "Show me everything that I've got planned for Thursday." With one click of a button, I can do it. They've got an ability to see all your perspectives down the left side of the screen, and they've got really nice little alarms or buttons along the side of it that allow you to see if there's something pending. For instance, if my review tab. I've got outstanding projects for review. There's a nice little flag in there that does it for me. When I've got the tasks open, they've got an inspector on the right side of the screen that lets me see all the details of it. It's in a fixed location and I can select multiple tasks and address them all at once in that inspector right where I expect it to be. They've also got keyboard shortcuts that allow you to jump between the inspector and the task list and the perspectives. So you can do all of this without taking your hands off the keyboard. I mean, just about everything you can think about that, uh, was causing any kind of friction in the prior version has got love and attention in the new one. Uh, if you're looking for some help to get started, I recommend the uh, support short videos they've got on the website. Um, you can go through and get a really great overview of how it works. Uh, they've also got a whole new website called insideomnifocus.com. That's so inside.omnifocus.com uh, where they've got articles and workflows and people writing in about how they're using Omnifocus. I did an article there, so I kind of talked. About some of my favorite workflows for OmniFocus, and they've got great pricing. You can get the standard version for just forty dollars. You can upgrade to Pro for another forty dollars. Uh, they do have upgrade pricing available. So since I bought it originally from the um, OmniFocus uh, website or the omni group website, I was able to get the upgrade price when I went and bought mine. Um, they've uh, the iPad. Uh, version is no longer offered for sale because version two is coming, but the, even the old one looks great and the iPhone version is $20. Um, they have trial and refund periods on both the Mac and the iOS devices. Boy, I'll just tell you, I am such a huge fan of this upgraded version. I'm going to be posting more on this at Max Sparky. I'm going to put some of my perspectives up and how I'm using it. But uh, the short story is OmniFocus just got better and go check it out. Cool.
1: All right. Um I think we have now gotten to the section where I lovingly call it the grab bag because I could no longer figure out how to group all these together and and make a coherent topic. So
4: Well Yeah.
0: We've got a grab bag of great tips. We've got some great let's let's hear from Heidi first.
4: Yeah, here's Heidi. Hi, David and Katie. This is Heidi in Seattle, and I wanted to share a tip about managing recipes. Like, I think, a lot of people, I use Evernote to store my recipes, and there are a lot of advantages to doing this. One is it's very easy to capture recipes from the web, and another is that I have my recipes available across all my devices. However, a major downside is that the text isn't structured in any way to allow you to do things like generate a shopping list. Now, there is an app for the iPhone called Grocery Trip, which is designed to work with Evernote, uh, recipes that you have in Evernote, if you tag them in a certain way, then in theory, what Grocery Trip does is structure those into a shopping list. However, I just could not get that to work reliably, and so I kind of gave up on using that and uh, thinking about doing anything more with my recipes. That is, until... I viewed Don McAllister's recent podcast on the Paprika Recipe Manager. And what piqued my interest on that is that it has its own embedded browser for capturing recipes on the web. And so for supported sites, it's just a one-click operation, but you can also easily capture recipes from non-supported sites by highlighting the text and then clicking a button to indicate whether that text is an ingredient, instruction, etc., And it struck me that I could use Evernote's ability to open a note as a URL and then paste that URL into Paprika, into the Paprika browser, that is, to quickly capture the recipe. So what I've done is set up a little workflow between Evernote and Paprika. Evernote is still kind of my main source repository. So if I want to go in and make a recipe, um, I grab the URL from Evernote, And then I paste it into the Paprika browser, which allows me to quickly capture it into Paprika. And so from there, I have all the handy functions that Paprika has, not only for shopping lists, but also it's got some handy tools when you are actually cooking the recipe. So what's happened is that I really have... Now, only stored in paprika recipes I've actually made. And I actually kind of like that distinction, thinking in terms of paprika being kind of the old familiar favorites, but then Evernote has kind of everything that I might possibly want to make uh, and experiment with. So this uh, workflow is working pretty well for me. Uh, One other just bonus tip is that if you have recipes in paper format, and you want to get them in digital form, you can use PDF Pen Scan Plus to capture that text and OCR it. And you can copy and paste that text into Evernote. And then, of course, from there, you can use the Evernote URL to get the recipe into Paprika. Uh, paprika, by the way, is available for a variety of devices. So, you know, the desire I had to have my recipes across devices. Uh, is working really well with paprika. So I hope this is uh, helpful, and uh, thanks again for all that you do.
0: You know, know, when I hear listeners that figure out how to connect dots like this, it just warms the cockles of my heart. The cockles.
5: (laughs)
1: And I'm going to check this out because I use Evernote for recipes, but I'm just using it like a slob, you know, with text recipes that I type in myself.
0: Yeah. you got to get on this, Katie Floyd.
1: I don't know what my problem is.
0: Yeah. The um no I thought that was great. And I'm gonna be checking out Paprika as well. And Hannah wrote in um I'm sorry, Chris wrote in about backing up uh NAS with Backblaze. And uh he said he, I'm considering a Drobo five N or some other NAS device to well, serve wait, as a did backup Did you just
1: say NAS?
0: NAS. Who says I'm that? Sorry. I just said it. To serve Is that as a like backup SWORD? solution. What? Yes. It's just like Sword. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As a, as a backup solution in a Plex Media server, I understand that it's hard or not possible to up a Drobo with Backblaze, which is his backup service, and he's hesitant to plop down all this money for something, and if it breaks or his apartment burns down, he's not going to have a backup. And he said, how do you up a Drobo or other NAS device? Um, I, I went to Costco when they had a sale, and I got a uh, two-terabyte, External hard drive. And it's just a USB device. It's not fast. It sits in the closet and I go down once a month. I have an omni-focus task and I just back up the whole thing and then I stick it back in the closet. Um, that's a lot of that stuff on my Drobo is already backed up in other places, but kind of the fail safe for me is the manual process. Now I know some people do this with a, um, with a connected device that they run a Chronosync script on that will do that automatically for them. I do it manually because I don't have a computer connected to the Drobo all the time.
1: Okay. Can I uh how about you Im- impro- yeah. can I improve on that a bit? Yeah, please do. Okay. So I did a, a very similar thing when Amazon had a sale on three terabyte hard drives. I picked up a a three terabyte hard drive, uh, just a standard USB and I I think it actually is USB three, but I don't know. Um previously I backed up my, my Drobo with Crash Plan, but since I don't use Crash Plan anymore, um I can't do that. So, but I always wanted to have a local copy of my Drobo because if you ever had to restore as much data as I have on my Drobo, it would be a big deal. So, this should work with any type of NAS. But the idea that that Chris wanted is is he would really like to also back it up on Backblaze. So, um, I agree. I plug in that three terabyte hard drive, and once a week, I have a um, uh, what is it? A carbon copy cloner will make a clone of the Drobo to my hard drive, and once a week is probably a little frequent. um, I probably could get away with once a month. But that hard drive, what you can do is if you do want that information up on Backblaze, while Backblaze will not back up a network-connected drive, it will back up a physically-connected drive. So while I cannot back up my Drobo or another network-attached storage device with Backblaze, um, I can back up the backup of the NAS with Backblaze. So when I was seeding um, my backup. To Backblaze, I just had to have that that hard drive attached, and it took me about two weeks or so to get all that data up to Backblaze initially. But after that, it was done, and I think you just have to have it plugged in once every thirty days in order for it to not delete that data. But I I keep the I plug in the hard drive at least once every thirty days anyway to update the backup. So um, I have a script that file you know fires off mounts the hard drive and then keeps it mounted. The, the backup occurs in the middle of the night keeps it mounted for a couple of additional hours to um to make sure that Backblaze can, can update it.
0: Now, when you do the copy of the Drobo, does it make a fresh copy of everything or does it just update? Does it just do a Delta?
1: No, it's an incremental. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, I think that's key for what you're doing. I think if you made, if you like formatted and recopied the whole thing every time, my guess is Backblaze would think that was new data and you'd have to go through the whole process again every time.
1: Uh, I don't but know. I don't
0: know. It'd be interesting to test that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a solution. Uh, the big thing is if you've got a NAS device in your home, you do need to have a way to keep a backup of it. Some people just buy two of these things and then they, they copy one to the other.
1: There you go. All right. This was one that you flagged. Uh, Hannah. Yeah. Hannah uh, gave us a a call in um, about changing the language for keyboards. I guess I'll let her explain, and then you can follow up.
6: Hi, Katie and David. Sometimes I find myself in a situation where I need to type an email or text message on my iOS device in a language that isn't English. This turns out to be a big problem. Autocorrect keeps switching these non-English words to their closest English variants. Fortunately, on iOS, there's a slick and simple solution. If you go into Settings, General, Keyboard, Keyboards, you can add a keyboard in the language of your choosing. Then, whenever you're typing and need to switch languages, just press the little Earth key on the iOS keyboard. It will switch the keyboard to the layout for that language and autocorrect for that language. To switch back to English, just press the Earth key again. If you don't know what language you have the keyboard set up at on a given moment, look at the space bar. If it's set up for English, it will say space, but if it's set up for a different language, it will say the word for space in that language. As a bonus, if you do anything that uses Greek lettering, this is really common in the sciences, you can add a Greek keyboard and use it just for those letters in the middle of typing in English. Now, a similar effect can be achieved on the Mac by going to System Preferences, Language and Region, and adding the second language as a preferred language. Unfortunately, this solution is somewhat suboptimal. The computer doesn't always know what language you're typing in, so suggested spellings will encompass both English and this other language. And unlike the system-wide keyboard in iOS, the second language isn't always recognized in non-Apple programs. I'm looking at you, Microsoft Word. And sadly, the three-finger tap to look up a word doesn't seem to return any results for non-English words. Hope this might be helpful to someone, and maybe someone has a better solution for the Mac. Thanks, Katie and David. See, this this doesn't work for me. Why? There's not a Klingon keyboard.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that'll be iOS 8 or 9.
1: Well, I think with iOS 8, someone could create a Klingon keyboard.
0: Yeah. Would you just write everything in Klingon if you could?
1: Only to certain people.
0: Yeah. It'd be like my markdown. You just write everything in Klingon, and you push a button, and it would convert it to English.
1: Yeah, someone could write an app for that.
0: Yeah, all right. Somebody probably already has. <laughs> no, but that's, I a, think does, that's a great does tip. It, doesn't uh, Microsoft have a, a Klingon translator? I think they do.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, Hannah. Um, uh, we've had a lot of questions about iPhone video stuff, and some of this has been hopefully uh, going to get solved by the iCloud uh, solutions talked about at WWDC. But it is an interesting problem, Is you've got all these video clips on your phones, And a lot of people don't do a good job of getting those off of their phones. And if they've got something on there they really want, it may get lost the next time their phone gets lost or destroyed or memory wiped or some other problem. Uh, Frank wrote in with that question, and and Josh answered it. I I love
1: it when this happens
0: yeah <laughs> exactly uh, uh josh uh, talked about getting video off the ios device is generally a pain and here's a workflow that he put together uh to get photos and video off the ios as well as handling media from multiple users into one mac so what he did of course it involves dropbox um He has a Dropbox with camera uploads turned on. So that's the first step. You know, Dropbox has the ability to pull your your pictures and put them up to Dropbox. And with that, you can choose to automatically upload photos and video in the background. So from there, his wife shares her camera uploads folder with him, and he ensures that her camera uploads folder and his camera uploads folder are both available on his Mac. And all this allows him to do is is collect all the media into the main Mac uh, without any effort. And then from there, you know what we're going to talk about, right? Hazel. So he uses Hazel to watch the folder. And when it sees files in either of the two uploads folders, he then puts them into a Dropbox album and helps keep track of them. Once the files are in iPhoto, Hazel moves them to the trash, where Hazel will eventually delete them. Then this frees up the space on the Dropbox for more incoming media. It's a very clever workflow which I hope will not be necessary in a few months. Um, uh, I understand that Apple is going to be uh, having the system that captures your your photos and your video and manages them from, you know, their side, which would I think be ideal.
1: And, you know, I think we should probably talk a little bit about what's going to happen with Apple in the next couple of months. You know? Yeah. yeah we've been going long enough. Um, yeah. Before we do, before we get and talk about WWDC, um, let's, talk about our last sponsor for this episode and that is our good friends over at 1Password. Uh, 1Password's been sponsoring MacPower users for a long time and it's really the app that I think keeps on giving because um, 1Password allows you to create strong, unique, secure passwords to use across all of your sites and is it really not a week that goes by that we don't find yet another site has been compromised and we just saw recently with Apple and there were particularly some um, I. Uh, I find my iPhone users that were finding themselves being locked out of their accounts and and actually getting ransom notes to say, hey, would you like us to unlock your iPhone for you? Please send, I don't know how much money it is, to this PayPal account. And everybody was so concerned. Did, did, did I find my iPhone get hacked? Did Apple get hacked? And, you know, no, when the dust settled, it turned out that this was really a problem with password reuse as it is in so many times when, when one site gets compromised and your password ends up getting out there from a compromise on one site. What are people going to do? But they're going to start using that combination of email and passwords on other sites. And using a tool like 1Password is going to help you create those unique passwords. And there's really no excuse. You've got to use strong, unique passwords across All of your website. Uh, OnePassword makes it easy to do this because they have both Dropbox and iCloud sync, so you can pick which one is right for you to sync all of this information across all of your devices everywhere you need it your Mac, your iPad, your iPhone, your Windows machine, and I just saw that they are continuing to work on their Android uh, so that they will have a fully fledged Android app rather than just a reader. and you can also store other stuff in 1Password like we were talking about earlier in the show. You can put secure notes. Um, you can put all of your uh, registration information for all of your applications. And you can also attach documents to these notes. So that's how David and I were talking about that using 1Password is really a key part for our digital estate planning. So you can find more information over at 1Password.com. Uh, if you aren't already, you may want to throw their blog in your RSS feed because um, I I really enjoyed hearing their perspectives on WWDC and I know that a lot of our developer friends are very excited about some of the new announcements coming out of WWDC and seeing what they can do uh, with extensions and with inter-app communication to make their apps work better and 1Password had some preliminary thoughts on that. So uh, go check it out. You can find 1Password um, at OnePassword.com. It's also available in the Mac App Store. You can pick it up for forty nine ninety nine. You can also buy it from their website. If you uh, run a Mac at home and a PC at the office, you can pack up a Mac and PC switchers or a Mac and Windows switchers bundle uh, for sixty They've also got family licenses, iOS licenses, anything that you want. They've got it over there. And thanks to 1Password for continuing to support the show.
0: Could you think, uh, you see at WWDC, they announced that Touch ID is now something accessible by app developers. Yes, please. And- Yeah. So if you've got a banking app, you can have it check your thumbprint before you get into the banking app. And I haven't seen the details on this yet. I would imagine you could do it either just as a single security device or it could be multiple where you have to put a code and your thumb. I don't know. But uh, just the idea of one password accessible by Touch ID to me just sounds brilliant. And I have no inside information. I haven't talked to anybody there. I don't know if they're planning it or not, but um, they did blog that they're thinking about it. And I I would love to see that. Uh, Let's talk about WWDC this year. There's there's just like this general sense of giddiness in the air about the whole thing. Um, uh, We
1: we put this at the end of the show because we know by the time the show comes out in podcast form, it's, you know, now 10 days late and people may or may not care. They may be over WWDC, but I, I'm interested to know what you think about it.
0: Well, I, I did a post on it at Max Barkey with just a couple quick thoughts, but I do think that. They really exceeded my expectations in terms of kind of the wish list. One of the big things that I, you know, one of the things I do at Park is I do these things called home screen posts where I have people post a picture of their home screen, talk about their favorite apps. And at the end, quite often I'll say, what's the one thing you would change if you were in charge at Apple? And I have all sorts of people from all walks of life do these posts some of which are app developers. And every time, without fail, when I have an app developer do one of these posts, what they would change is they'd make it more easy for apps to talk to each other and share data. I mean, the fact that you have a photo app and then you have, and you want to apply a special effect from another app. You have to make a copy of that picture. Now you have two copies of it on your iPhone and you're not sure which one is which, and then you take it to another app and you've got a third copy. That's just crazy. And they fixed that. So now you've got the ability on the iPhone and iPad to share stuff across multiple device, uh, multiple apps, and basically use an app as a, in essence, a plugin. And the example they used is Waterlog, which is a very popular, um, uh, app that will take a photograph and give it a watercolor effect, but they opened it right in the photos app on the iPhone and they, and it used the waterlog engine to change the image right in the iPhoto app. So start thinking about that now that that is a thing that can happen, where is this going to go? I can't imagine. I I think app developers are just starting to wrap their heads around it. And I think for the next year as users, we're going to be seeing some great, great stuff. I mean, all this URL scheme and the stuff we spent so much time talking about on the shows, I think that's going to be, you know, sent out and quietly shot because it's going to be so much easier with the new system.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think, um, if you look at some of the sessions, the WWDC app is, uh, I, I think, is free to the public. I, I have a limited developer account, and I got a notification to download it. So, But I think the WWDC app is free to the public. And I've been watching some of those videos, and I will admit I am not a developer, and I understand maybe a quarter of what they're talking about in, in some of those videos that I've been watching. But it is really exciting, and, and some of the big concept things that they're talking about, about the information that apps are going to be able to share. And it's going to be limited at first, the the types of extensions that are going to be available. But Apple very clearly said that they are going to be expanding this. Um, and so that's that's exciting. I mean, to me, this is the biggest announcement about apps and the biggest announcement for developers since the introduction of the app store. I really don't think that that's that's a surprise. And it's going to take time for this to come out. I don't think we can all, certainly developers are going to hop on it, but I don't think that we can expect that, you know, even by the time iOS launches in, in the fall, probably, you know, September, October or so, that all of a sudden there certainly will be some new apps and there will be some new sharing features. But I think really over the next year, we're going to see a whole new class of apps and we're going to start seeing extensions for apps and we're going to start seeing, well, do you, do you want a true Evernote web clipper now? Or do you want to be able to, to have, instead of using bookmarklets, do you want to be able to send these things to other services? I mean, I I have no idea. I haven't talked to these people and I really don't understand all of the things that are possible. Um, I have some developers that I would like to talk to and say, Hey, um, are you thinking about this? And is this, tell, tell me, is this possible? Would it even be possible for you to do this? Um, and uh, I haven't talked to them yet because they've just been out at WWDC and they're just getting back now and I didn't want to overwhelm them. But they may not know the answer, but I think a lot of fun stuff is going to be possible.
0: Well, I think there's just entire new categories of applications that none of us have thought of before because the prior constraints are removed. And uh,
1: or, or a I, lot of applications that we've seen having kludgy interfaces or, or uh, had to do workarounds may, may now be much, much more native.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be exciting and um, I'm very much looking for that. So that's to me is one of the big points. Uh, the continuity thing is great. So continuity works is if you're working on a document or an email or whatever on your iPad or your iPhone, you walk up to your Mac and there's a little icon, you tap it and it opens the email and continues right where you left off. Um, or the opposite, it goes the opposite direction back to the iPad. So the ability to use your devices, I mean, one of the big advantages of buying Apple devices has always been it's you know, the same operating system, the same hardware manufacturer, and you're living within this, the system that's built by one company. So they can do things that other systems can't because you have too many people involved throwing salt in the soup. Well, um, I think this is exactly what Apple needs to do. They need to take advantage of that continuity and, and they've done it. So I haven't seen that work yet. I'm very curious to see it. Um, you know, all this stuff kind of has a little asterisk next to it because Apple traditionally hasn't done that great with kind of these cloud based services. But boy, they they seem to have a lot of confidence that they're going to deliver here. And I'm very eager to see that.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm curious, David, what did you, because this is something we've talked about quite a bit on this show, what did you think about some of the family sharing features?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm, I have some questions, but I'm very interested in it because we've now got to a point in our family with the, you know, hand me down iPads and whatnot that we are with four people. We are routinely bumping into the 10 device limit. You know, Um, there's only 10 devices you can have attached to an account. And, we have more than 10 in our family and you know, so it's kind of a running battle to have yours as one of the devices for like iTunes sharing and whatnot. Um But the uh I'm going to be looking at that. I don't think it's available yet and no, I haven't had time to catch up yet, but once it does become available um I, I'm very interested. So the way it works, if we're all in the same credit card, my kids can get their own iTunes accounts and my wife for that matter. And if we're all the same iTunes uh, we're on the same credit card. We can share media between us so they can populate their libraries with their stuff. And I can stop seeing, you know, H- Hannah Montana or whatever show up in my in my list, which is a plus. Uh, I don't know if it means I would have to buy four separate iTunes sharing accounts, you know, well, if we no, wanted to use that.
1: My understanding is, you know, to some degree, I, I bet everybody in your family already has an iTunes account. You know, you already have an Apple ID. You already have an iTunes yeah, ID. Do. Um, yeah. And I think, it, plus you have you have four members of your family. You now have this fifth, and that you have the quote unquote family account where you you typically buy all of your media, and then everybody has access to that. Yeah. And so I think in your case, what you would do is you would make all four people plus that fifth account, you know, quote unquote members of your family, because well, the four are and the fifth really yeah. is just this thing. Um, and so then everything that is bought. On the same credit card, as long as they're tied to the same credit card, are going to be usable by all all of those people. Um, now, what happens when somebody you know grows out of it and moves on and starts their own family? You know, then they're probably going to have to start from scratch. You know, buying new stuff.
0: I I'm not sure of that. I think that they they will cease to be able to share from the other device. But oh, I think I think, I think I
1: they'll I, be able to keep whatever they've bought. But, yeah. but for example, when you're when your oldest daughter. And you've still got some time before this, I would think, but when your oldest daughter, you know, begins her own family um, and is is no longer on the Sparks family iTunes account and no longer using the Sparks family, you know, credit card, she'll be able to keep whatever she's bought from her own account, but she'll no longer be able to access the, the Sparks family, you know, all the legacy stuff that you've bought before.
0: Yeah, but as I understand it, she would share into, when we first set this up, she would share anything that she'd want into her account then. And frankly, before she left the account, she'd make probably one last pass but then she would no longer be able to share after that. I mean, there's there's a lot of questions. So, but uh, I'm very interested in it. And uh, I think it's something I would like to pursue if my questions get answered. Like I said, the iTunes sharing thing is kind of a big deal because that's, I think it's $25 a year or 20, I can't remember. But uh, do I? I- I-Cloud,
1: no, uh, well, family sharing is free. iCloud is $25 a year. I- iCloud yeah, the, iTunes, iCloud, whatever it is. iCloud match. I think it's
0: called, yeah, I'm sorry. I- iTunes match. Yes, there you go. So am I, am I going to have to buy that four times, or can I still just pay for it once? I mean, there, there's questions like that that I just don't know the answer to yet.
1: Yeah, that's true, and well, and and that that's all going to get thrown up in the air because who knows what's what's going to happen with Beats now? When I was joking earlier that we kind of Sherlocked ourselves, you know, we came up with this uh, this I uh, cloud and um, a syncs uh, show right before the day before WWDC released. And of course, Apple then clearly was listening to MacPower users, and immediately rewrote the entire keynote so that they could take into account some of our concerns.
0: That's how they roll. That must That's, have been I what understand. happened. Yeah.
1: Um, but the, one of the big problems we talked about, um, they've they've solved a lot of them. Number one is there's now a, a true iCloud Drive, which I sincerely hope will be a lot better than, gosh, what was it called, iDisk. And so yeah. iDisk. <laughs> your your stuff is no longer relegated to just live within the app, but they've also taken a stab and I'm not quite sure they've gone far enough at, at solving this problem of, of having enough storage. Um, You still, my disappointment is you still only get five gigabytes for free. They've, they've, and and I don't mean this as a complaint. Don't get me wrong. It is dirt cheap, you know, to, to buy additional storage. You basically get 20 gigabytes for 12 bucks a year. And and I will absolutely do that. And I, I may even go with one of the larger plans, I guess my concern is just from a practical standpoint, no matter what the price is, no matter how inexpensive it is, how many people just due to lack of knowledge or lack of even knowing that it is available will will upgrade their iCloud storage.
0: Yeah, I think it should have been, the free tier should have been higher. Yeah. Um, because there's some people that won't pay it. I mean, if, if you make it 10 cents a gig, they won't pay it. They just won't pay any extra. So, and that that reduces the functionality of the device. But you know what? I'm I'm just so happy that they have a solution for pictures and they've got all this stuff. I'm okay with it. But five, I agree with you. Five is too low. I'm really curious, like I said earlier, though, to see how well all this works. I mean, the reason Dropbox is great is because it's one folder that you can put your stuff in and that makes it really easy for almost anybody to use it. And... It works really fast. If you put something up on your Dropbox and your Mac, and then you push across the room by the time you get to the other Mac, it's already there. Um, They really nailed that whole system down. Apple needs to deliver on that. They need, you know, if we're going to do this Dropbox equivalent, it needs to be Dropbox style performance. And, you know, that remains to be seen.
1: Oh, I think AirDrop could be huge in in this effect because how many times have you emailed yourself a photo or a screenshot because it was just it it was easier than waiting for it to sync up through through iCloud.
0: Yeah, uh, boy, there's just so much from WWDC this year. Then that they created a whole new programming language.
1: I'm wondering if that's going to be the great equalizer, um, you know, creating this whole new programming language. I it has always been a great regret of mine, and I've I've told Gene that I'm going to have to come to App Camp from Girls so that those twelve year olds can teach me how to program, because yeah. I would love to learn how to program. And I wonder if now Swift is in some ways like starting over, um, and and maybe now I can. Okay, well this is where I start.
0: Yeah, I think it, I, mean, I wasn't kidding on that Linda spot. I think that you know, there's going to be some great material there to learn this stuff. And there's also going to be some great books and websites and everything else. And my guess is it's going to be within weeks that you're going to start seeing online resources show up to teach people how to do this.
1: Yeah. They've already got the book in the, uh, the iBook store.
0: Yeah. Apple's got a book, but I mean, that book is really for someone who already knows how to program. Um, I think if you really want kind of like, if you're saying, Hey, I'm new to this, but I want to give it a shot. There's going to be good resources for you too. Very shortly.
1: Did we hit all the highlights? Um, uh, gosh, no, we didn't. There was so much. and Yosemite. We didn't even talk about the the look and design of Yosemite at all. And gosh, yeah, everything. I I, like- I am so excited. Now I have not signed up for any of the betas. I did sign up for the public beta, but I don't know that I'm going to download it. To to me, so much of what is valuable, uh, other than just it's cool, it's new, the look and the feel of of iOS eight and Yosemite. Is the synergy of it both of both of those systems working together? So while yes, I could download the Yosemite beta and while I could play with it and put it on maybe my Mac Mini, although <laughs> seeing as we use the Mac Mini to run this live show, that may not be the best idea in the world. Um, to me, what that would be cool, and having a new operating system would be cool, having a new iOS eight would be fun. But just the way that these two systems are going to work together uh, is is just really what knocks it out of the park for me.
0: Yeah, I, so I've got a, um, my, my current iPad is an iPad air, but I have my mini, you know, last year's mini still here. Uh, I installed iOS eight on that and I installed Yosemite on an 80 gigabyte partition of my MacBook pro. Um, so I, I, created a just a little partition and i installed it and i'm not sure i can say a whole lot about it but the reason i did is i want to see how it all kind of comes together but i will say yosemite looks really nice on a retina screen (laughs) i mean i I haven't looked at it on a um, standard you know resolution screen but boy this looks like it was designed for for retina
1: yeah. And I hope that means we're getting Retina MacBook Air soon because uh, later this year, although I know the chips probably aren't going to be out until next year, but I am really, really wanting a, an 11 inch MacBook Air and I just can't justify buying one until it's a Retina screen.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we didn't really do a very good job of covering WWDC. There was so much, but if you go to the Apple site, I would recommend watching the keynote. It's a couple hours and it's kind of fun. Apple seems like they're really kind of relaxed. They're kind of coming into their own, um, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that you're going to love. Like even just like the idea of you're sitting at your Mac and your phone rings and you can answer it from your Mac. What a great idea. I mean, why not? They own these platforms. They should make them talk to each other that easily.
1: All right. Well, you can find a uh, links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website, MacPowerusers.com or at five by tv slash MPU.
0: Yeah. You can also contact us. And by email, we're feedback at MacPowerUsers. You can find us on Twitter, at MacPowerUsers. Katie at Katie Floyd, and I'm at MacSparky.
1: Thanks to our sponsors for this episode, uh, Linda, Hover, 1Password, and the Omni Group. And thanks to everyone who contributed to this episode by um, sending in their audio comments. And we love it when you do that. So send us your questions. Send us your comments. We love those audio comments in particular. Keep them to two minutes or less, please. Uh, And we'll try to include them on the next Mac Power Users Live, which I believe, double-check my date, David, will be uh, July 5th, 4th of July weekend, holiday weekend.
0: Wow. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. and um, If you have a chance, come by and join the chat room. It is actually quite a bit of fun. I really like these live shows, Katie. I can't help it. It's too much fun going on here. Um, We'll see you all next time. We've got some good shows planned, and uh, thanks for stopping by.